Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 136 of Longbox Heroes After Dark, the long-awaited sixth installment of Gallifrey Birds, where Todd mm-hmm. and I watch The Other's Passion. I watch <laughs> an episode block of a different doctor, and Todd watches one of the most infamous or famous wrestling events of a certain time. Which is it, infamous or famous? Some of them could be infamous and some of them could be famous. Gotcha. Speaking of which, I'm going to check the list. Just to kind of re-jog my memory to see what one's next. Oh, okay. All right. Mm, I don't know yet what yours is next. I'm still watching this, re-watching The Seventh Doctor, so just to make sure. I, I think I have it, but I'm not 100% sure. Is the Seventh Doctor or the Eighth Doctor the one that just has the one thing? That's eight. Yeah, see? I'm see, starting you know. to figure this uh, Doctor Who nonsense out. You're becoming a convert. Right. Well, I just you, tr- love- you tried to dose me when I was at the shop last week. What do you mean, dose ya? You tried to give me the old Bill Cosby, like, oh, here, try this delicious jelly baby. You ate it, and you oh, were fine. My- it was, de- it was, and I wasn't doing this just because I'm like, if it was, de- like, I per- I could have just grabbed one and been like, oh, okay. But I purposely <laughs> went and tried to find my favorite flavor in there, mm-hmm. fake orange. <laughs> right. And it was it was gross. The texture was weird. It didn't feel right. They it felt unnatural. But you, you you now officially you can never say you you haven't watched. We're not done yet, but you've watched a most because you've seen other stuff for other shows. Mm-hmm. You've seen more than half of the doctors. Okay, I'm gonna say this T- time. Okay, mm-hmm. time spent watching Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I've spent more time watching Doctor Who than all of the Netflix Marvel shows combined. That's fantastic. I have watched more Doctor Who than the new um, Mystery Science Theater series. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of other things as well. You do know that was my plan all along, right? Right. It was to prevent me from watching the things that I'd actually enjoy. Right. But... so that I could watch this. But to also say when it's done, you you can never say that you're that you're clean again after this. Right. And the best part of last week sharing a jelly baby, you know, discussing uh breaking jelly baby together. Right. Um was you trying to convince me that you're not words. That was the best thing ever. By the way. Remind me to mention that off air when we're done. <laughs> okay, but one, can I just throw out one thing about that, and then we'll get on to Gallifrey words? What everyone came to hear. They don't want to hear us jibber-jabbing about words or nothing. Um, you work so hard, and you were like, oh, would I would I would be crazy if I did this and was words. And that's when I figured it out, Joe. <laughs> You're crazy. Oh, my goodness. You are literally the fight club of wrestling. All right. You know what? Fuck it. I don't care. <laughs> okay. So, this past weekend, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I, I went out to Cleveland for my friend Chris's viewing and mm-hmm. his funeral and everything else like that. It was very nice uh, to meet his family, to get the ch- a chance to talk to his brother, um, a chance to get to see everyone from the wrestling, of course, and also get a chance to see Brian and Kim and the kids. Unfortunately, we did not get a chance to record anything because my schedule was so crazy. 
with us getting there at 1 o'clock in the morning, then having to get ready and get up for the viewing at noon, and then we were there until, like, doing, like, the viewing and the funeral and everything else until, like, 5, 5.30. We went out to eat, and then I had to be out the door the next morning uh, for 7 o'clock to drive the extra five hours out to Indiana for Tom's show, which was mm-hmm. great. The, the show was great. Um, so... I was going to drive up by myself, and a carload of the students from uh, the AIW school were going to were going separately, and we were going from more or less the same area. And I tried to like kind of break it up so that I had somebody to drive with me, but also so there's not like four guys crammed in one car, one guy crammed in one. So one of the guys comes with me, and we drive out. We have good conversation, um, you know, just talking all sorts of different wrestling stuff. He's a good kid. Take him to the show, go to the show, come back the five hours. I'm dropping him off at his car, and I'm helping him get all of his shit out of my car. And he's like, uh, hey, Joe, thanks very much. You know, I had a good trip. Thanks for helping me out with this. Pause. Your words, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the last thing he said to me before I left. Oh, my goodness. And then someone else uh, from... Uh, another friend of mine who was on the show mm-hmm. came from another part of uh, the East Coast, and he had to defend that not only was he, but also me and others were not words as well. Ah, see, I'm of the mind that you are words and you just don't know it, the way uh, Norton's character was in Fight Club, and he's like Tyler Wordsden. Oh my and you just you just don't know, and that's really what it comes down. That's how crazy it's got. I was gonna say like, uh, what's his face uh, from this past season of Flash when Doctor Alchemy was taking him over? Mm-hmm. What's his face, Julian? He's Julian on the show, but he's Draco Malfoy in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's like him. There you go. All right, so I'm starting first. I thought I started first. No, I'm starting first because I want to make people wait for the good part. Oh, okay. You're the... I'm... I'm the sizzle. You're the steak. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, but Well, I always was told I'm hotter than a $2 pistol and tougher than a $2 steak. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, uh, this edition of Doctor Who that I had to watch. Now, I do want to say this. You may need to assist me a little bit. Right. Because I was running on about four hours of sleep in a 48-hour period when I watched this. The sad part is this is one I haven't watched in a little bit, okay. so I'm going to do my best. You know what I mean? Right. So this is Vengeance on Varos. Yes. So uh, this planet, Varos, which we get a nice establishing shot, and by nice establish- establishing shot, I mean fourth grade art project. <laughs> what? Of the planet Varos. So the gimmick on Varos is there's a governor who is elected by the people, and there's some sort of deal with the TVs that everyone watches everything because anyone who's a rebel or anything that's bad that's going on is broadcast on the TV. Tortures, elections, everything is broadcast on TV. I'm sure this was some sort of allegory in 1980-whatever of how we're (laughs) all addicted to our TVs. And And Thatcher. I guess. That, right. I don't, now, see, really I don't know a lot about British politics. Mm-hmm. Me, so a lot me of, either. If there were references there, those were lost on me. Right. 
Now, the reason that Varos is such a big deal is because of this Zyton 7. Mm-hmm. Now, was this, this is different than the mineral from the previous episode that you had me watch, right? Right. Spectrox is completely different. You get Spectrox in a bag with a snake. Right. This is completely different. Because we never see, uh, the, 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 the Zyton 7. They just talk about it, right? Right. And they'd say, you know, we'll get you some at some point. So, after we get a establishing shot of the fourth grade art project, we're met by a prisoner who is an oily man with no shirt on and his pants pulled up to his nipples. <laughs> well, that's how you dress in space. Right. And he's being laserized because he's the leader of the Rebel Alliance and they're broadcasting this on TV as a deterrent to people so that they're, they don't do this sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So we, meet like uh, I guess like two workers I guess it's a it's a married couple they're essentially like the ropers of this episode of Doctor Who yep the rebel ropers the rebel ropers so they're watching this and they're like oh well we're for what the current governor is doing and the other one's like I'm against it and you know I'll just vote and like the woman is really like we got to follow the rules you know and the man's like I don't know about these fancy rules blah 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 so while this is going on we go to whatever's going on in the TARDIS Mm-hmm. And this scene with this doctor, Kyle or Colin Baker, I said, I almost said Kyle Baker, the artist, Colin <laughs> Baker and the, uh, this companion Perry, right? Right. I want you, Todd, to go back and watch this scene. Mm-hmm. It is maybe some of the worst acting I've ever seen in my life. What? Just what? No, no, no. Watching this scene, I'm like, these two have no chemistry. I'm not buying this. They're like, they're just coming off as phony. It looked, it looked and felt like a bad Saturday Night Live skit. And <laughs> I thought, I'm like, shit, if the rest of the mo- the, the rest of this is like this, I'm sunk. And luckily it wasn't. It was just this one scene. Go back and watch it. It's within like the first like 15 minutes of the episode. Right. It's when they're fixing the TARDIS, right? Okay. They're fixing the TARDIS, right? So like, the doctor's kind of being flippant about it, and then, like, all of a sudden, he gets, like, a wild hair up his ass, like, I'm gonna figure it out, and he's looking through a book that very obviously has nothing written on the pages. Right. And there's many a times where you could clearly see there's nothing written on these the pages of this book. However, the other thing, well, we'll get to what I want to mention here. Um, So, we go back down to uh, the planet, Varos, where the governor is with this creepy, kind of like Ming the Merciless, Donald Pleasance looking guy, mm-hmm. who I thought would be like, oh, he's the guy, he's my, uh, what do they always say? They The best way a lot of times when you have like these fanciful worlds of things that you don't understand, there's always it's always good to have like that entry point character. It's like, oh, he's the one I relate to. He's the one that asks the questions like, why is this this way, you know? Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be him. No. My character that I related to was the turd man. <laughs> Sill? Sill. Now, we don't get Sill's name for like another 40 minutes after he debuts. Right. He's just a weird, creepy turd man <laughs> who is like very poorly like sitting on a bench. Sometimes <laughs> the makeup effect is like fully around the bottom of his neck and sometimes it's not. Right. Sometimes he talks in like a broken Yoda-ish language and sometimes he doesn't. And at least they explain that toward like the very end of the episode. 
mm-hmm. that he's wearing like a translator thing. That maybe that's why sometimes he talks like Yoda and sometimes he doesn't. They don't explain why he's sitting on top of an aquarium until the very end of the episode where he makes his two bondage S&M men spray him with water. Again, no explanation why. It's just all of a sudden at the end of the episode, he needs water to survive where the previous four, you know, previous hour plus of the show he didn't. Now he does. Well, he's like a he's like a a creature that needs to be moist in the swamps, and he's drying out apparently. Right, we established that within the first five minutes of that we are introduced to the character, not the last five minutes of the episode. But that's yeah, me. It's a, I'm not it's a all, writer of Doctor Who isms. No, you're not. So then we're then we're met into um, more of like the cronies that are around there, and there's one this guy Bax. Mm-hmm. Who looked like um, one of the guys from Kids in the Hall? You know, the dark-haired guy from Kids in the Hall. <laughs> right. He looked like him, so it was a little distracting, right? Mm-hmm. So I also want to say that this was two forty-five minutes without commercials, so two hour-long episodes of Doctor Who put together as this story. The right. Doctor and the companion do not get themselves involved in the plot of the show until 25 minutes into the hour and a half that I had to watch. So it was just like, he's on the TARDIS, he's trying to fix it. And then, like, for a couple minutes, and then it's like all this political intrigue stuff. And he needs, uh, surprisingly, he needs the Triton 7. Uh, am I saying that? Zyton 7. I keep missing it up because it's not a real word. He needs the Zyton like, 7 to power the TARDIS. He figures this like out cream. from the book that has no words in it. Right. So he goes down to the planet, and of course, just like any time, the Doctor and the Companion show up on a different world and a different time and a different whatever, they're immediately thought to be against whoever has already been established as the uh, antagonist of things. I would like to see an episode of Doctor Who where the Doctor and the Companion show up and the villains of the piece immediately believe everything that the Doctor is saying and welcome them into the fold. Okay, later on in New Who, mm-hmm. th- this is a big thing that literally you, you've touched on something that a lot of writers and people said they would show up and, you know, he's n- nobody knows who he is. And it's just like we have to take 10 minutes of the episode to work him in. Like, how would he get near the, the powerful people? of this episode you know what i mean right so you'd have to do something well when the new doctor who came out they gave him this thing that just solves all that problem he has a little wallet that he opens up and it has a white piece of paper on it like that's supposed to be id and it's psychic paper oh my and goodness. it's whatever you think it needs to be to, for credentials do you know what i'm saying Sure. Like he'll show up and he'll be like, "Why are you supposed to be here?" And he'll open it up and he'll be like, "Oh, you're the you're the the Zaiton Z inspector." And he'll be like, he'll look at, it, "Is that what it said?" Okay, yeah, I'm the Z-, you know what I mean. And it gets him into the and it just take completely takes away. And then as it goes, it's like the the evil people will be like, "Oh, this guy's again. He's not you know whatever. Even if they think he's whatever, he's against me." And that's where the the tension starts. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So. So that helps out a lot later on down the line. Well, it didn't help out here. Okay, there was no psychic paper at this point. Well, we one of the torture things that we find out is a hallucination thing where they mm-hmm. take your deepest darkest fear. There's a lot of there's a lot of time being spent uh on Varos in creating torture elements. 
Right. This is time that they could be using to make their society and planet better. That's just me. So one of the things is like this hallucination machine where it's going to take your deepest, darkest fear and bring it to life in front of you. Luckily, right before they turn it on, the guy who's going to turn it on looks directly into the camera (laughs) and says to a guard, luckily you're wearing your anti-hallucination helmet while we're turning this on. (laughs) Right. You need that. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So, uh, so we get that and then... As the uh, the doctor, they have uh, the guy before the pants pulled up to his uh, his nipples. Joradar? Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? Sure, it might. So there's one of the members of the evil people who was a member of the Rebel Alliance. Maybe he turned them in. It's unclear because he's having an argument with the uh, Jordar's wife. Then, of course, which happens several times in this... Someone on the evil side has a change of heart, they help our heroes, and then are immediately killed. Yep. This happens three times during the course of this. Doctor Who fodder. Okay. So, as they're escaping, they're going through the catacombs underneath this, right? Mm -hmm. And everything has all these different traps and things to drive you mad that they're broadcasting out to the people. The, the ways to kill you, the torture devices, like they go into the purple zone, which is stock footage of a fly. <laughs> and I'm not even joking around. That's what it is. And how do they defeat it with the Raiders of the Lost Ark technique? Just don't look at it. As I mentioned before, the trope of someone on the bad side has a change of heart, helps the good guys, and then is immediately killed happens three times in this. On three different occasions, when faced with a trap, the way they beat it is, is just ignore it. Mm -hmm. So we're really lowering the stakes on the peril that our heroes and our heroes are in. And I do want to just kind of get back to things. I'm not sure if I loved or hated the romper that Perry was wearing in this. Right. Her her pastel blue belted romper. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I like it because it does not appear that she was wearing a bra with it. Right. But it was not very flattering to the rest of her body. <laughs> and when she ran, you could see her like, hmm, I have to I have to kind of keep things in place. Right. So they're attempting, like, the, the guy that I mentioned before who looked like a combination between Donald Pleasance and Ming the Merciless, he keeps kind of, like, playing both sides against each other. Like, he's... He's one scene, he's helping out the governor and feeding him information. The other time, the other one, he's on the, the side with Sill and feeding Sill information. And then they set up that they're going to kill the doctor and Jordar. And they set him up in the gallows with fake nooses. And the doctor, of course, figured it out because the cameras weren't turned on. So he knew they weren't going to get killed, right? Mm-hmm. So this part gets a little bit hazy for me, but I do want to just read. Oh, so in one of the, okay, now I remember. I just had to look to see at my notes because my notes were kind of scattered because, like I said, I only had about four hours of sleep in 48 hours. One of the traps that the doctor, quote-unquote, doesn't escape from is one of the hallucination things where they trick his brain that he's in a desert, dying of thirst, then he dies, 
and that's allegedly the cliffhanger of the first episode. Mm-hmm. Then they have him in a room where they're going to dispose of his body in an acid bath. Right. And he just comes back to life. There's no real explanation for why he comes back to life. He just does. Welcome to the Sixth Doctor era. Okay. So then he gets the jump on the two guys that are attempting to dispose of his body in the acid bath. Uh, one of them, the doctor just straight up kills and throws him in the acid <laughs> bath. The other one, he lets fall in. Like, he could have saved him, but he just lets him fall in. While this is going, while this is going on, they're playing, like, wacky carnival music. Mm-hmm. And then before the doctor leaves the room, he makes a pun that would even make you cringe. Right. And I'm just like, and this was um, also one of the many examples of the hideously bad fight choreography in these episodes. Just pitiful. <laughs> like, it was guys, like, they would fight, right? And their fight essentially would be, one guy would go up to another guy, grab him by the arm, and then they would both spin. Mm-hmm. And that's a fight in this 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 iteration of Doctor Who, right? Right. So, they put Jordar's wife and Perry into one of the torture chambers, a transmognifier or something. Mm-hmm. It turns Perry into, like, some sort of weird bird person. And then it makes uh, Jordar's wife just, like, all wrinkly and stuff. <laughs> now, I don't want to spoil anything, but while they're all acting like this is horrible and this is, you know, the worst thing that happened to both of these characters, the doctor just comes in, takes them off the tables, and then all of a sudden they're just fine. And they're like, oh, you guys turned back. And they're like, oh, I guess we weren't on there long enough. Let's move on. Right. So uh, they, they're continuing now to escape. Um, I'm, I'm not focusing enough on Syl, but, like, I, I got it all out of my system. But, like, Syl is there because for whatever race he's from, he's negotiating with the governor on a fair price for uh, the, the Zyton 7. And mm-hmm. he wants a lower price. The governor wants to raise the price. They do a vote to the people. The people vote no. And then they hit the governor with beams. But it's not like beams to kill him. It's beams essentially to make him weak so that he could negotiate and the other person he's negotiating with could have more power over him. This is another thing that happens multiple times in the show. Mm-hmm. The governor or the, the governor goes and does a vote. He's hit with beams. He's made to be weaker. They try to make a deal with him. He still says no. Right. All right. So then there's there's like one more thing to escape, right? There's this thing with these vines. And the doc, they look, oh, they, they find a guy who has like a big like pus boil on his neck, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just essentially like a goiter, like a purple goiter on his neck. And the doctor goes, oh, he was obviously poisoned. Because that's what people who are poisoned look like. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, the way that they were poisoned was the last room to escape was through these vines. These deadly poisonous vines. That The doctor just kind of does like a shimmy roll through. And is fine. No problem. He says, don't let the vines touch you. He does a shimmy roll into the vines. The vines touch him, but he's fine. Then from the other side... 
the villains come through, they get touched by the vines, and they sell it like death. <laughs> but again, we're at a point in this where the heroes have no stakes. They're, like, I have no attachment to the heroes because the Doctor just lived for no reason. He's dead. And on the back of the DVD, I wanted to say this before. Um, da, 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 hunted through the concealed terrors of the Punishment Dome, the Doctor becomes a subject of Varro's latest TV entertainment. This is one show where he may not survive beyond the cliffhanger. But he does. And then he goes through the poisonous weeds with no effect. After telling us and the people he's with, don't touch them, you'll die, he touches them and doesn't die. This, oh, so they, they oust everyone, they get rid of, like, the, the Donald Pleasance looking guy, they get rid of his crony who's wearing, like, a cane Phantom the Opera mask, and then when he takes it off, he just has, like, some grape jelly over his eye and like at least they lingered on it but the special effect was real bad um but the other thing is oh so the reason that they end up going through the the vines was one of the random things that we saw the roper couple watching on the tv before was two old men in diapers kind of dancing with each other like one had a bone and the other one was like something and they tell us that they were cannibals driven mad and they eat people but the only way that we know this is because the one guy in a previous scene is holding a bone and the doctor tells us this mm -hmm. now me personally i think this was the invention of the lemon party but that's just me because <laughs> that's what this looked like what it's it's can varos cannibals oh my god everybody knows again two old men in diapers who were <laughs> dancing lemon party so the governor changes things. He goes on TV. He says, we're turning off TV. We're not going to have the way that the old things were. He tells Syl that it's now $20 or 20 whatever the credit is, uh, for the uh, Zyto 7. Syl freaks out, and now that's when he needs his water. His two S&M guys spray him with water, and they say, hey, we're still going to torture you anyway. Then the doctor, the governor says, Doctor, however, can I repay you? And he says, maybe I can get some of that Zyton 7 to fuel my ship. And he says, have as much as you need, roll credits. Right. Okay. This has been the worst one I've watched so far. Right. By far. Um, it's not so much the doctor himself. The doctor was a... Like, he was a non-entity entity to me. Other than that one scene that I mentioned before, at the very beginning, where the acting was very bad on both parts, mm -hmm. he was fine. He was no more or less offensive than any of the other doctors. Um, yeah. Um, but the rest of it was terrible. The plot was bad. The, the rest of the acting was bad. The special effects were bad. Um, like I said, the main thing was that there were no consequences. I felt at no point were the heroes ever in peril. Right. And I'm not going to argue with you. I right. mean, I, I, this was one, and I do believe when we started, I said, you're going to get to six and you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to deal with it. Um, I didn't want to give you bad episodes, but I did want to give you one of every doctor. Right. And there was no way around this. That's the best of his first season. Oof. 
or at least the most what do I want to say? The most accessible Ugh. because there are better episodes, but then you have to get into like, you have to have seen the other Dalek episodes. And I'm like, I don't want to do that to Joe. And then the, the first season is him. Everybody like as fans hating the doctor, the doctor is so shrill and harsh that you're like, we, we just don't even care. Like he literally has one of the worst introductions and it, he never got over it. After he was, you know, the whole uh, Spectrox poisoning thing and the doctor changed, there was he was like, oh, it's different this time. And the doctor was very gruff and very mean and blah, blah, blah. But literally in the first episode, he has these manic mood swings where he goes from truly mean to a coward. And it's the worst ever. And at one point, he strangles Perry because he's he's become paranoid. And he never overcame that with the fans. If you know what I mean, it was just like, this is, this is terrible. We don't like him. And literally at one point in the first season, he's like, Perry's like, well, you're not anything like the doctor I knew. And he's like, well, I'm the doctor now. Deal with it. Like almost into the camera. Oh kind boy. Of thing. Yeah. Like I, I'm the doctor now. And then like this goes, this goes over like a lead balloon with fans. So the next season is them trying to soften him up, and they do. But the next whole season, which has better episodes, is literally the whole season is a 14-part story at a half hour apiece. And I was like, I don't think Joe wants a 14-half-hour episode story. Nope. And the, the best stories are in there, but then he's on trial for something from his people, and each time it ends, the story ends, you're like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. We have to go on to the next one because it keeps you – know, like, and when I say no, it does make sense all in the end, but you're just like, oh, this is weird, and each story feeds off what you've learned in the last one. I'm like, there's nothing here that's, that I'm going to give Joe that he's going to enjoy, but for the whole experiment. I wanted you to watch. I could have substituted another four, uh, fourth doctor for this, but I was like, uh, he's going to have to suffer. And after I watched that luchador pay-per-view, I'm like, I don't feel so bad about giving right. Joe the sixth doctor. And again, it wasn't like, okay, I don't want to say that it wasn't actively bad because it mm -hmm. definitely wasn't good. Right. But by far, this has been by a country mile, the worst one I've had to watch so far. Right. And like I said, he literally is the only doctor. I don't count eight because the show wasn't picked up, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, like when eight only had his one, it he's, was like, oh. He, he, he's included just to like just to kind of hit the quota, that there had to be an eighth doctor. Here's his one appearance. Let's move on. Right. Well, not even that. But of all the doctor, he's the only one to be fired. Like, they're like, get out. Um. Where eight was like, okay, it was a joint. Well, we'll get to, we'll get to all that. The ratings weren't there, blah, blah, blah. They didn't want to work out. So it's like, we both go our separate ways. Like, you're not fired so much as this didn't work out. With six, it was literally, you're fired. How about coming back in, you know, for the first episode of the next season and do a regeneration? And he was basically like, fuck you. I'm not coming back. <laughs> and. Basically, they did a regeneration with, uh, throughout this season, his, uh, his next companion was a health freak and she, and she made him drink carrot juice and ride the exercise bike because she was trying to get him to shape because that was another thing was that the sixth doctor was a bit pudgy. Oh boy. 
So off camera, off camera, because he won't come back, the sixth doctor fell off his exercise bike and died because he was being attacked by another Time Lord called the Ranny. And they just come, they, when she comes in to like get the doctor for something for her plan, he's laying on the floor with like, it's the, the guy who's playing the seventh doctor rolled over so you can't see his face in a big curly wig. And when they roll him over to take him out of there, like her minion, he regenerates right there into the seventh doctor. So we never see that. It's so, it's so shitty, Joe. So, oh my God. This sounds it's like it's like, right up my alley. Right. Um, but that's not, definitely not the story you're going to get. But, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's a rough time. The, it goes back up for seven and eight. Um, I'm watching seven again and I'm truly enjoying some of the stuff and it gets, truly campy at sometimes and, and i'm like okay I, I think i can work with here but six is literally like there's no doubt in anybody's mind this is the the low of the whole doctor who run of everything and i feel bad because colin baker like genuinely takes a lot of gruff like on twitter and stuff like that and you're like just it's not his fault you know what i mean like he had nothing to work with like they gave him nothing no script, no scripts, no budget, no anything. Oh so. boy! So I can't say I feel bad for him. I do. I actually feel bad because for him, now that's... here he still does the convention circuit as a doctor, right? Right, and he does the audios still. Okay, which which is where he found his niche. Like that got good. Like like they have good writers, and it, it's fun. I've listened to some of Colin Baker's. Run and like he said, I'm a darker, darker doctor than anything we've had before. I think I should be like in a, in a black jacket, like with more of a, like an evil looking. And they're like, no, we're giving you this. And they gave him that outfit, which is like literally just laughed upon. I mean, there's a lot of things that I know you bust on, like the scarf or the, like the frills on the third doctor's shirt, but like literally nobody, nobody liked the sixth doctor's outfit. So I don't know. I, like I said, I listened to some of the, the, uh, audios and I enjoyed them and I feel that where that's where he really shines, but you know, it's never going to be for his two seasons. He's never going to be remembered. So yay, Colin Baker. Yay, Colin Baker. Indeed. Mm hmm. Didn't we talk about him before something with his, uh, his Twitter, that sawbones hex thing or something. Yeah, it means this, Sawbones is a doctor, right? And Hex is six, so he's the sixth doctor. All right. See, getting in deep there. Right. Did you just throw away your notes? I did. You're not saving them to, for for the Longbox Heroes library someday. Absolutely not. Oh. I'm going to auction off my notes. So. Now, listen, I, I heard people want to see these alleged notes. I, I told them that you're a functioning illiterate and don't know how to write. So, If you saw my notes, you'd believe that. All right, so, Todd, I turn the show over to you. All right, so we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're hitting the steak part of the show? Uh, steak right. dinner. Steak dinner. So this is In Your House number 16, apparently. Canadian Stampede, right? So right off the bat, I love the high uh, budget values, uh, production values of the using old, I think, 
full house sets for where they come out of the curtain. Okay. <laughs> like, the font for, like, in your house. To me, just, it's a few years after Full House is off the air, but that's all I can think of looking at this is, like, I, I don't know. Just the, especially the, the the lettering of in your house makes me think of Full House. So now, I don't I know if that's. I want to say mm-hmm. the very first in your house pay per view, mm-hmm. they had a sweepstake where they gave away a house to a lucky fan. Oh, and they didn't do that again. No, they should have done that in every house. Oh. Sixteen of them. <laughs> they should have given them the house set that was there. And I was thinking, this can't be interacting with Full House, because what kind of respectable wrestling program would say they have something going on with Full House? That's just crazy. I, so, I agree. Listen, I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> right. So uh, I don't know if it was on the pay-per-view or it was just in the DVD that you gave me. Like, I don't know. Like, sometimes there might be promotion that's uh, shown – on the DVD that's not in, like, when you watch it. But there's this whole, like, uh, footage thing of, like, you know, the good guys or the bad guys. Like, uh, y- you know, like, you have Goldust and Austin. And when you have heroes like like uh, Bret Hart and Owen Hart, and now we're all cheering these these anti-heroes and everything. Um, I found that interesting because I'm like, like, like I said, I didn't know if it was on the, the pay-per-view or not originally, but it does give me an interesting thing that like, is this where the blurring of the lines start where you say like people question whether or not this is the beginning of the Attitude Era or was it a little before this? Okay. Um, so what you're talking about, like, I guess, like, the little promotional videos and stuff that happen, what, right. either at the beginning of the show or in between every match? No, right at the beginning, there's, like, okay. oh, yeah, a tumultuous yeah, that was time. On the original broadcast, um, and this is in the midst of the Attitude Era. We're about three months away from it officially being the Attitude Era. They've, over the last year, at this point, they've been slowly adding in little bits of things. Mm-hmm. Of like this blurring the lines and everything else, and this whole summer uh, here is the whole storyline with the Hart Foundation versus Stone Cold and whomever else, where they all just act exactly the same. But whenever they're in Canada, the Hart Foundation are the baby faces and Stone Cold's the heel. Whenever in the United States, the Hart Foundation are the heel and Stone Cold Stone Cold is the baby face. We'll get to that when we get to those matches. Right. Um, right. So it, it comes in and is like, and you know, all this has, and I love the announcer, like it's unleashed a devastating tempest upon the WWF and everything. <laughs> and I'm like, this is fantastic. I'm like, so right off the bat, I don't know, like, and it's always hard for me. Like, you know how you say, like, it's like me watching Doctor Who or you, when you watch wrestling, you're like, I don't understand everything because I got most of my wrestling during the Attitude Era where you will tell me, like, you're like, bah, a hero never begs off. Like, that's a rule, apparently. Yeah, yeah. So I don't catch those those little things. So, like, when you say it's obvious who the bad guys are and who the good guys are, you got to remember when I started for, mm-hmm. for realsies. I mean, I watched a little bit back in the, the day with Piper and Hogan and everything. But so – I don't get all that. So it's tough for me, like, literally when a match is, like, going on, I'm like, yeah, so this guy's the heel and that one's the, oh, okay, uh, I guess. So I find that interesting that, like, especially this is where it all begins. And I love the more, like, it, it 
it blew my mind too. Like, uh, the sh- like I said, some of the production values on this, like, uh, were different than you know they are now. I like the font for the stampede stuff because you have this like White House in the background that, like I said, looks like the Full House house, and then there's like bales of hay around. And I always got taken aback when it would be like you know, Calgary, Canada, and it would be in, like, that stampede font right. on, like, a, a piece of wood. <laughs> like, it's supposed to be engraved in a piece of wood, and I'm like, oh, that's right, this is this is stampede-themed. If only the announcers had something that would show that to me. Let's go to the announcers. <laughs> and, it's, and it's Vince, JR, and Lawler, right? So, and they're all dressed as cowboys, which is fantastic right so at this point before we even see them i hear live from calgary canada and he's just he's immediately like it hasn't even started yet and vince is at not 10 not 11 he's at 32 he's at peak vince (laughs) right and we've got two hours to go (laughs) right so that's fantastic so they pan in and i'm like Holy shit, right? I'm like, there's JR. He's, he's in a, he's in a cowboy hat, which, fine. I've seen that before. This is not shocking. Then there's Vince, who looks his best now. He's in the, he's in the, the like the vest that looks like, you know, like, like a, a Native American made it for him. And I'm like, this is fantastic. Then I look over and I'm like, who's that guy in the biggest cowboy hat in Canada? because I can't see his face. And then he starts talking, and I'm like, it's Lawler. Holy shit, look at that hat. That is the best comedic thing, because every time we came back to that hat, I cracked up. Anytime they showed Lawler, I'm like, this is my... This is the best cowboy hat. I like the raspberry cowboy hat on Johnny B. Bad. Mm -hmm. This cowboy hat is even better. Fantastic. So it was interesting also to see the dynamic of Vince as a announcer because I've never really seen that before. Right. And, and, we'll, and we'll get into that. So how long was he an announcer before this? And did he, it end shortly after this? Because I don't remember seeing him in the Attitude Era. I think, okay. This iteration of Vince is, we're nearing the end of this iteration of Vince. I think he does maybe, like, two more pay-per-views, like, up Mm -hmm. until September, and then he takes himself off TV. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then November is the Montreal Screwjob, and then Vince is now Mr. McMahon. Mm -hmm. He's no longer this Vince McMahon. With the, hey, Brett, ha, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, Brett screwed Brett and Austin, you know, Austin is now his new nemesis and all this other stuff. But up until, you know, like, for the, from this point, like, the previous, like, 15 years, this has been Vince. Oh, my God. I need, oh, oof, I'm going to have to be some doing some YouTube in, in my yep. spare time. So now they announced the first match, and it's... Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Right. Comes out with his bodyguard China. Mm-hmm. And now I know. The ninth wonder of the world, China. I don't remember if they said that at this time, but, uh, so they come out and I'm like, oh my God, right? So, and at this point, I'm like, 
Look how tiny Triple H is. <laughs> oh, my God. What a work ethic this man has to grow into, like, the the, 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 the hulking mass that he is now. I was like, well, if only I had that regimen, I wouldn't be the man I am today. Just so proud of him, Joe. So proud of him. And probably, you know, just clean living. That's the only thing I could think of. Right. So he's versus Mankind. Um, oh, also, when Triple H comes out, uh, right off the bat, I'm mad at this pay-per-view because there's no Motorhead. Like, where's the Motorhead? Oh, my goodness. This, this is in his transition from being the Connecticut blue blood, Hunter Hurst right. Helmsley, mm-hmm. to about, again, about two months later, he just tr- all of a sudden is Triple H, lackey to Shawn Michaels, DX. Right, because right now he's interviewed with a vampire, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's what I got. He looked like Lestat. Sure. I mean, come on. So I find that fantastic. And then Mankind comes out. Or Mankind's man- Mankind's Mankind. Right. Like, there, I, I mean, I've seen Mankind. I know Mankind. One of my friends is one of the biggest Mankind fans I've ever met. Hey, that's me. Uh, no, this what? different guy. No, stop it. Um, uh, born on the same day as I was, so oh. so I'm all good with that. Um, so I find this I, I find this match funny. Um, I love the I love the fact when uh, mankind insults Hunter when he uses his own curtsy against them. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic. I love when a I love when a wrestler uses the other wrestler's thing to Their like taunt. Sure. Oh yes, like you know. Oh, I'm not. I'm fighting John Cena. It's time to use the you smell bad against them. Right. Well, to see mankind curtsy is is fascinating. <laughs> just just an amazing thing. It and, probably caused him so much pain to bend that way. <laughs> oh my god. Well, we'll talk about pain with with mankind in a little bit. So as uh, this goes on, and there, there's certain moves that always, like, I know they're planned, but I don't see them a lot in wrestling, and they don't look natural, if you know what I mean. Yeah. There's one move where uh, uh, Mankind throws Triple H into the corner. And you know how, like, you, you know wrestling, Joe. You know it better than I. You're supposed to go into the corner and hit the turnbuckles, and, like, your arms are supposed to flap over the ropes, and you go, ugh. Like, I'm, I'm hurt. That hurt me a lot. But he throws him into the ropes, into the corner, into the turnbuckles. Tr- Triple H doesn't do that. He goes to his right or his left, I don't remember, and just rolls over the rope and hits the side of the, the ring and falls on the floor. And I'm like, oh, that looked painful. That looked, like, not natural. And I have to admit, when I see stuff like that, I like it because it, it takes me out. It's like in my, my mind immediately goes to, oh, my God, they're dead. They're killed. Something terrible happens. So outside the ring, they, they're going at it, and, and China's involved and, and all the good stuff. And this is one of the cooler moves because they say he sells it all the way through is uh, Triple H throws Mankind to China, and China power bombs him on the 400-pound steel steps, Joe. <laughs> yes. And it looks bad for his leg. And then after that, um, this is... This is wrestling, Joe. This is where, you know, he sells that for the rest of the match. And, you know, like Lawler's telling him, oh, you got, you got to stop it if it gets too bad, if he could barely walk. And, and, um, 
I kind of like that kind of stuff. I think that's, that's, that's kind of cool. Um, uh, at one point, a pile driver is given and I forgot how much I, I miss, uh, pile drivers and, uh, they, they, they use the, the chairs, uh, Triple H uses a chair on Mankind. I miss the old days when you went to a pay-per-view and if you were in the, the, the front rows, you got a chair with a little symbol on it and everything. Yeah, the commemorative chair, sure. Uh, do they still do that? I no, might have I asked don't think you that. so. They don't do that. That's, that's a fucking ripoff right there, Joe. <laughs> they need to bring that shit back. That's I agree. The stuff. That's the stuff. So at one point, Triple H has got Mankind and he's holding on to the rope doing the whole submission move. One of my favorite things, it's kind of like the, the, what is it, the, what is it, the Kentucky pump handle or whatever you talk about? This is, this is the different thing where he holds on the rope and he, and he uses it for leverage and, and, and Triple H is, is going like, oh, like doing that and Mankind's like, oh my god, he's, he's, he's using the rope, look ref, and the ref's like, what? I don't understand. I don't understand you pointing and saying he's using the ropes. <laughs> Say it again. And as he turns, Triple H lets go of the ropes and it's shaking and he's like, ah, why, why is this rope shaking, Mr. Helmsley? And then, it, you know, obviously, you know, the deal It goes back three times. My favorite part of this is the ref sees it this time and kicks Triple H's hands off the rope. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's not going to have a job in years to come when, when Triple H owns this company because he, he literally kicked him in the in the, in the hands. I was like, so that's, that's I, so that. In particular, and that thing that you'd mentioned before where he did, like, the, the, the specific bump, like, over the top rope in a crazy way. Mm-hmm. It was around this time, and as his career would continue, that Triple H would liberally borrow some of the more popular spots from Ric Flair matches. Oh, okay. That into the ropes thing was a Ric Flair thing, and the specific thing where the referee kicks the hand. Right. Uh, those, those would happen many times in a Ric Flair match. Now, depending on the referee, sometimes Flair would get up in the referee's face, shove the ref, and then the ref would shove Flair, and then Flair would bump off the ref shoving him. Ah, okay. Well, you know what? Triple H did it better than Flair, I bet. Oh, my goodness. It's because he's, he's the king, the king of kings, Joe. It's all right. about the game. He, he just won King of the Ring earlier this year, that's right. That's right. That's where it all starts, I think, right? So, uh, basically it, for some reason, goes into a double count out, which is a surprise to me because they, they've been fighting outside the ring for a while off and on. And this time it's just like ding, 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 double count out. And the thing that I do like is it continues to go and they're, they're in shockingly the penalty box in Calgary. You know, because they love their hockey up there. So I found that amusing, like the fight going on, and they're going back and forth. And uh, I was like, you know, just just fun stuff after wrestling match that that goes on. And pretty much that's over with them now. I'm pretty sure, Joe. We're not going right, to see that, them again. That, no. Right. That matter has been cleared up, and uh, mm-hmm. that's the last we'll hear from those two. Right. They went fighting into the back, so they they should be good. So at this point, we go to. Maybe like what we need more in wrestling is they do the, the vignette of, Hey, it's parade day in Calgary because the WWF is in Calgary and just the cheesiest announcer ever is doing it at this point. And it's like, there was a parade and British, the British Bulldog was there and they managed to get a huge get Mrs. Calgary 1997. And I'm like, 
oh, okay. And then they're like, Mrs. Calgary just happens to be British the Bulldog's wife. And I'm like, okay, oh, okay. I find this, this, this funny. And then they get to like the, the, they're talking about how big Brett is in, in, in Canada and especially Calgary. Right. And they're like, there's literally over a mile of fans. Uh, and they say this like literally a mile of fans signing for thing. And all I could think of was the used car yep. thing. <laughs> like literally there was a fan there and they're like, nope, you don't have a mile. And they drop their poster. <laughs> they measure and they're like, it's a mile of fans. <laughs> That's all I can think of as I'm watching this. Oh. But I found it cool that like, uh, that, uh, uh, that that's going on, and then they they're, they're cutting to different things. And gold, this is this I don't even know what this is, but Gold Dust, Hawk, and Animal are apparently at the White Hat ceremony. I don't know what the shit that is. <laughs> I don't know I never, either. I never googled it, but it sounds so like like upscale that just the fact that it's Hawk, Animal, and Gold Dust. Right. Like that's that's the one that they're at. You know what I mean? So then that goes on and uh there's a tug of war with the with pe- people versus the the superstars and I'm like that's a thing you don't want to lose back in this time. You know what I mean? Like you right. better you better put you better put people with bad wheels up against the wrestlers. And shockingly the superstars won, Joe. I was I wonder if the fix was in. <laughs> I don't know. But and then at that point we cut back to the arena and I don't get his name now, but the name comes later that a wonderful gentleman by the name of Doc Hendricks huh? is doing interviews. He looks very familiar, Joe. Hmm. But this is a name I've never heard of. Alright, fair enough. So the doctor is in, Doc Hendrickson. Doing an interview with uh with Bret Hart and his and his and his merry men, when all of a sudden uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin bursts in, I'm like, now this is something I recognize. Stone Cold as Stone Cold, not you know what was his name, Beautiful Steve or something at one point. Steve, correct. Beautiful Steve um, comes in, and then if I'm correct. Something pro- that's probably never happened before is Pat Patterson restraining a, a wrestler in a in a in a locker room. Okay, he's just he's just like, no, you can't do this right now. And Pat Patterson's on top of things. So as he gets him out, and then it's funny, like Bret Hart's like, oh, what an idiot. Uh, uh, what if he comes in here? He's not even smart. It's five against one, and we don't want that. What will that prove? That'll just prove that Steve Austin got jumped by five guys. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. So it's just a short thing. And like I said, they never tell me uh, the 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 doctor's name. It's just later on that comes. Nice white hat. So the next match is Taka Mishinoku. Oh my God, I nailed that. Uh, yeah, sure. I didn't get it right. Uh, Taka Michinoku. Michinoku. Well, I wasn't sure how to say it because nobody fucking said it the same way twice during the match. <laughs> Vince, JR, Lawler, they were all saying it different. So I'm like, I'm completely lost. And uh, was it the great uh, Sakui? Oh, boy. <laughs> what, was, what was his name? Great Sasuke. Great Sasuke. 
So we're about to get into this epic match. And then out of nowhere, Joe, out of nowhere, Triple H and Mankind come out again. And I'm like, all right, I'm down with this. I think this is great. This has to happen all the time. And they go at it and they're, uh, they're, they're going back. And JR, who at this time, um, from the first match, I forgot to mention, I have in my notes, I love JR selling everything like, literally like, like the, the Germans are coming over the hill in World War II. It's like, oh my God, these guys are literally like two, a head on collision. And at this point, He's talking about Mankind and Triple H fighting. And he's like, this looks like closing time at Cowboys Bar last night. Or sometime this morning. I'm like, this is fantastic. It's like, he is so uh, just great at like, like upping the level of stuff. I just got a, a thing. That's why I'm all confused. Okay. Um, did you just send me something? I did. Okay, am I supposed to watch that now or later? Uh, later. Okay, sorry. That threw me off. I heard, and I'm like, I thought I actually lost you. Um, so th- that's going on, and that's great. Um, and I love that, the, you know, finally they go away, and, and the, the match starts. And this reminds me of uh, the first, uh, like an MMA fight at first, honestly. I don't know, because I know Ken Shamrock's on the thing, and I don't know if this is it when uh, – I know, like, Ultimate Fighting started and all that stuff, uh, Tough Man competitions, and they're, like, kicking the legs and everything. So I, I found that kind of what this looked like to me early on, and I was okay. kind of bored. But uh, then this match actually does pick up, and at one point, uh, Taka just gets a bunch of kicks in the corner, and one of them looks like it takes his head clean off. So I was kind of worried for the man at... Uh, at stuff, and this is one of those, uh, you know, thing where I literally I get nervous when I see like high flying wrestlers, and I think I would like a Japanese um, pay per view better than I would a luchador one. Um, okay. This match, as it went on, I loved more and more, like the springboards off the top rope out into the to the thing, and I, and I'm trying to figure out if this is kind of maybe where it started too, you know, in the WWF anyway, or if um, it was before. This. Well. See, WWF would experiment with it, but they would never kind of really give it the platform that, say, WCW did or was at the time. Uh, so you would see a little bit of this implemented, but you would see it more so on the WCW side. But, yeah, again, this th- they were trying. Right. Um, Sasuke, you know, I think does a cartwheel, but I'm not 100% sure. And then he I, he, he kicks out of uh, Michinoku Chauffeur. And, but Susaka wins. Susaka? Su- Sasuke. Sasuke. I'm getting confused on his name. So Sasuke wins the match. I was like, all right, this was an okay match. I didn't like it as much as I liked the Triple H, uh, uh, Mankind match. Speaking of Triple H and Mankind. Well, wait, so- before you continue, mm-hmm. uh, Great Sasuke in mm-hmm. 2011 came over and was involved in Chikara King of Trios. Right. That video that I sent you right. was after night one when everyone went out to the bar and Great Sasuke sang Living on a Prayer Karaoke. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'll have to watch that later. And then you'll have to pay special attention to whose YouTube account that is as well. Okay, I, I will. I All will. right. 
I will. I will. So that goes on. What speaking of Triple H and Mankind, they are back again. And uh you know, there's beer kegs involved. And did you know empty beer kegs might be slightly louder than electrical metal electrical conduit? Yes. Um, that I liked. I found that's funny. So they're going at it for a while, and Vince finally says that it is this is broken up finally. So at this point, I'm hoping it's not, but we'll see as it goes on. That um, that those two, Todd, their rivalry, their hatred for each other cannot be contained. Mm-hmm. If only they had a match where it was in the confines of a steel cage to prevent something like this from happening again in the future. Oh, my goodness. That probably didn't happen. <laughs> it probably did. Probably. But at this point, we find out that um, they do a little, like, vignette of past stuff. And Ahmed Johnson was supposed to be fighting uh, Undertaker for the... For the championship, uh, yes. Championship, but he got he got his knee blown out, apparently. Right. Ahmed Johnson, uh, very infamous wrestler in the world of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, if he wasn't injuring himself, he was injuring others. Right. So, and he had a way with the words. Oh, did he really? Yes. Now I'm going to inter- intercut here. Uh, one second. Okay. So this is all getting cut out is what you're saying? No. No. So the, f- the listeners are going to hear this. You're not going to hear this. Mm-hmm. You're ready for what they're stupid, but you have to face, because it's time to meet the real superstar in the real. One thing be you, and no one going to come say your story cards. Just make sure you got plenty of insurance called. Listen up, punk. That little ass body of yours can't possibly deal with the ass whipping I'm going to give you in the ring. If you want to step up to play D, bring it on. Because I forgot to take my medication in the morning, and I'm in a real bad mood. Alright. So that was just a taste for the listeners out there if they want to be reminded about some of the vocal stylings of one Ahmed Johnson. And Todd, I'll send that one to you to watch later at the leisure of your own self. You'll right. enjoy oh. that one as well. So yes, Ahmed Johnson turned turned heel, joined up with his hated rivals the uh, Nation of Domination, but injured himself, did not get the match with The uh, Undertaker, and would never be seen in the World Wrestling Entertainment again. Really? Yes. Never again, huh? Yes, that was the end of his uh, World Wrestling Entertainment career. Now, this is when we get Doc Hendricks' name, and it sounds like, it sounds like, uh, at this, like, someone who would have his own, like, like, like he'd be selling tonics like medical bitters to people. Okay. I, I like I like Doc Hendricks. That's one of my favorites that like yes, Doc Hendricks medical bitters. Like it cures everything. So he's interviewing Paul Bearer with and this blew my mind, Joe. Paul Bearer isn't with The Undertaker at this point. Correct. Didn't they have the little video package beforehand showing how the under how Paul Bearer turned his back on The Undertaker or no? Right, because he's a murderer. Right. He's a murderer. They might have showed it shortly after this. Like, I forget which way it was. And that's why my my uh, notebook looks like Rip Hunter's chalkboard. Okay. Because <laughs> it says, like, Paul Bearer with Vader? Question mark. 
<laughs> like, you know, like, is this an alternate timeline? <laughs> right. What's going on here? And uh, the fact that under, uh, Paul Bear always knows how to sell things. And I'm like, murderer! <laughs> it's like crying. I'm like, that's fantastic. So um, I didn't know it was time. It's time. It's Vader time. Yes. Um, was that his new thing at this point? Right. He was, that, you know, previously in, you know, events that you saw him on, he was Big Van Vader. Mm-hmm. When he came to the World Wrestling Entertainment, he was just called Vader, sometimes called the man they call Vader, right. other times called the Mastodon Vader. And Vince actually just wanted to straight up change his name to the Mastodon. <laughs> they should have. Vader doesn't work. Sounds like a Star Wars villain to right. me. Right. But, uh, so at this point, Vader is scared by magic because the Undertaker's coming out and Vader sells the whole, like, and at this point, they don't have the true Undertaker, like, pyro on the, the corners. Like, there's one and it's kind of sad. It's kind of like, boom. And it's like one little one. And Vader's like, oh my God, that was magic kind of a thing. And I was like, oh, and this is probably my favorite era of, Undertaker outfits because he looks like one of the uh, the watchers on the wall from Game of Thrones. Okay, and that's all, all I could think of was I was like, you know, he's one of the he's one of the the crows on the wall up at, at uh, you know fighting off the the White Walkers. Um, you will understand none of that. Anybody who watches Game of Thrones will know that he looks like one of the Watch, um, the Night's Watch. So this match basically. Well, first, and more fashion, this is the first time I noticed Vader has a V on his butt. I like that. Anytime anytime a wrestler has a moniker or a name on the back of their tights or or singlet or whatever, I pop for that. I'm like, we need more of that fashion, wrestling fashion. That's helpful Um, to you who don't know any of these guys' names. Right, especially if he turns around, I'm like, that's right, V for Vader. It's Vader time. So... Basically, this match hits everything I need as an Undertaker fan. Old school, the sit-up. By the way, I'm a big fan of old school. That's where he walks on the rope, right? Right. Okay, because I know people would scream, old school. Loved. I I forgot how much I love that. And for some reason, in the last couple of matches, I've seen Undertaker, and he doesn't do that move. So I would like to see that come back. But that that's fun. And also, at this time, I rem- I re- people loved Undertaker. Like the, 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 I don't know how long he was around at this point. Um, but just amazing the, the, the pop that he got. I was like, I forgot like how legitimately how much people loved Undertaker. So, uh, at one point, JR once again is like body shot. Like he does the whole boxer thing where he's hitting him at Vader in the gut right. and does the uppercut thing. And JR's like body shots like that'll wreck your insides. And I'm like, that's got to be true. That's that's got to be true. Um, actually, on this one, I didn't write down. Oh, Undertaker one. He got him with the tombstone. Right. right. He got him with the tombstone. He choke slammed him. And was this also where they started to kick out of like three finishing moves before it was over? Um, that really didn't start for at least another year or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now the saddest, uh, the 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 saddest part of the the pay per view. This is still during the match though. Is 
it's officially come across the wire to Vince McMahon that Triple H and Mankind have stopped fighting. And if you want, you can listen to the honky tonk on the superstar line about it. Okay. With them or something. I don't know because they didn't have a number that I could call or anything. Was that a thing? Wait, wait. You could call the superstar line and listen to the honky tonk man and who? Triple H and Mankind, I thought they said. Okay, I thought you said it was Honky Tonk Man and someone else was with him. Right, I don't know. It just said the way they made it sound was like, Triple H and Mankind have stopped fighting, and if you, and he, they're right now, I guess them, I don't know if it was one of them or whatever, was the way they made it sound. Oh, okay, were, like one of them was talking with the Honky Tonk Man in the Superstar line. I get you. Or pronouns, pal. Um <laughs> One or one of them or both of them were going to be there. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. It they, wasn't right. Really... So they would do that. This was like, even though this was 1997, the internet really wasn't a thing to the WWE just yet. Mm-hmm. So to kind of further get some stuff over, instead of like, hey, go to WWE.com for more information about what just happened, call our 900 number for more information. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was wondering what that was. So basically, this match ends with Undertaker winning. And during this match is when the Calgary people really start, like, you couldn't hear the announcers at times. They were, they were either stamping their feet or whatever. And that would be a big part of a match later. Uh, I found that really cool is like, uh, the whole, like, and I will, give this because I was listening to our buddy DJ at the shop the other day talk about how nobody uses wrestling psychology anymore right. and to the crowd. And I'm like, first of all, there's no such thing as wrestling psychology. Stop. But I think I saw it in this match because Vader would be getting the best of Undertaker and then the stampeding would start. And I guess that's why they call this pay-per-view stampede. And that's when uh, Undertaker would turn the tide on him and people would go crazy. And I, it was actually kind of cool to see Undertaker do like get the momentum at certain times when the crowd was building to like a peak. And I guess that's what they were talking about when they mentioned uh, wrestling psychology. I could be wrong. It's part of it. Right. It's much deeper than just that. But yes. Okay. Uh, what I'm, I'm learning, Joe. I'm trying to ask questions. So at this point, we get Doc Hendricks back, and he's talking to uh, he's talking to uh, Stone Cold's team. Um, Goldust mentions Clint Eastwood. That gets a pop out of me. But Goldust isn't. I, he looks nervous as hell. As far as I'm concerned, he doesn't give a great interview. It's kind of not and he doesn't even do it long. It's real quick, but I'm kind of like, ooh, that was bad. But not as bad as the block of wood Ken Shamrock that comes up next. <laughs> I don't even know what he says, but he's just looking straight into the camera, and I'm like, I don't care. Um, then Hawk and Animal give me what I want from a promo. <laughs> just oh, we're gonna kill them all. Oh, what a rush. Um, that's great. And then Stone Cold is like, I can't top that. Let's go. <laughs> so he doesn't even say a word. And we go out, you know, Doc, Doc Hendricks kicks it back to our, our announce team. So our announce team lets me know that another big get for the WWF, Farmer's Daughter, is in the ring to sing the Cal- the Canadian National Anthem. Right. I've 
I've never heard of Farmer's Daughter. I only know the the thing from a lot of jokes. The uh, being the Farmer's Daughter. I don't know. I looked them up, and apparently they were big in Canada for right. a while. Um, had lots of awards and stuff. So I might download some of their music legally. Legally download some Farmer's Daughter's music or watch it on YouTube after I watch all these uh, wrestling. Uh, Videos that you're sending me. They had, so they now, had a good run in the uh, mid to late nineties. Did Father's oh, did they? Daughter? Sure. Did, you have a lot of their stuff. Yeah, I have all three of their CDs. Sure. Oh, really? I'll have to get those off you. Um, so now is the big match. It's uh, Austin Hawk Animal, Ken Shamrock Goldust versus Brian Pillman, uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, uh, British Bulldog, uh, Owen Hart, and Bret Hart. Now, now before we ahead. continue. I don't be honest with me. If you've looked this up, ten people in this match, Todd. How many of them are dead? Um, looking at it, okay. On Austin's team, one. Whether it's Hawk or Animal, okay. I know Gold Dust is alive. I know Austin's alive. I know Ken. I don't know Ken Shamrock's alive, but I'm gonna say he is. Ken so, Shamrock's alive. He wants a lot of money to come and wrestle. Okay, and which one was the one that uh, Puke took his job? Uh, Hawk. Okay, so Hawk's dead. Right. So Animal's alive? Yes. Um, Brett, I want to say, and I'm not trying to be funny because I know Brett had cancer recently, mm-hmm. but Brett's alive, right? Yes. Okay. Owen, sadly, I know Owen's story. British Bulldog is dead. Yes. Uh, Brian Pillman is dead. Correct. And Jim the Anvil Nightheart is alive. There you go. Oh, my God. Did I get them all right? You did. Woo. Are you proud of me? I am very proud of you. (laughs) That's fantastic. Now, this is one of my favorite things. Like, I'm not even going to comment on a lot of the match because it was, it was a good match. Um, but Vince announcing, and this is my favorite Vince thing, <laughs> that he says, because he breaks, apparently, I don't know if this was breaking kayfabe, but it was Vince. He's like, oh, and Gold Dust is in the ring without uh, Marlena, I guess. Was Marlena? Yes. His valet. And he's like, well, Marlena's at home with Dakota, who has a bit of a fever, and so she's take a rare, you know, not, you know, not appearance with Goldust. And that Marlena, she's a super mom, a super lady. And when she's in Goldust corner, a super corner person. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the kind of announcing you just don't get anymore, Joe. Right. I, I, lo- I, I have to admit, I lost my shit when Vince said super corner person. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> That's fantastic. From now on, I, I, I'm going to drive out to any of your things in Cleveland and root beer wrestling and cups of of C4 or whatever you're doing. Right. J- just and be. I'm like wrestlers. Who wants to sign me up for a corner person? <laughs> I want that job. I promise you, Todd. The next time that I call a match, and there is. Someone at ringside with someone else, I'm going to remark on how they're a fantastic corner person. A super corner person. A super corner person. Right. So, while this is, uh, one of the things that I like is like, uh, Brian Pillman, uh, makes 
Ken Shamrock fake tap. He grabs his hand and makes him tap on the ground. He's like, and they're like, oh my God, Ken Shamrock, the king of the submission and ultimate fighting or whatever was back then, tough man or whatever. He's like, he's, that's such a, such a, such a great, you know, like, oh my God, such an insult. I found that amusing. And then that, and I, and I feel like out of all this, Brian Pillman was the, was the butt of a lot of jokes, especially when they pull his pants down. I think again, I think I saw a pay-per-view where they pull, pull, pull this, his tights down. Um, so I'm like, was this a running thing that people like to pull Brian Pillman's pants down? Um, I'm sure it was. Okay. All right. I just, I just found that amusing. Um, while all this is going on, um, uh, we find out that Bret Hart is having a documentary being shot. Oh yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you about that a little bit later. Okay. So as this goes on, um, I just want to say there's a move that happens, and I find it interesting that in the match, uh, Owen Hart gets his leg hurt, and he limps off. Like, there, you have to go. You have to go. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And it's like, now it's four on five. Oh, my God, like the advantage. And they, they end up hurting Austin's leg. Um, the same way they hit it. I don't know. They might have hit it with a fire extinguisher or whatever. But one of the moves that I do hate in all of wrestling is when you pull a wrestler to the corner and, you know, his body is in the ring and you pull his legs. So his, you know, his crotch is up against the near up against the ring, the, the corner post. Right. And you grab his leg and you throw it off the post. Right. And and the person bends their leg around like, oh, my God, that doesn't look painful ever to me. Stop it. It's the worst move in the history of wrestling. So I was glad when they hit him with the fire extinguisher on the pole. So that's good. So he leaves. But I found it interesting in the in the the, the match because it's Vince or Vince's team, Brett's team versus Austin's team. That Owen left and Steve left. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I figured it would have been like one for one, and it would have been like Brett. And then obviously, I I had a total feeling they were both coming back. Which they did, and it was really cool. And I like in all this. I have to say, I've I've made some some jokes, uh, you know, uh, uh, terrible jokes. But Owen Hart is truly an was an amazing wrestler. Yes. Listen to me say that. I'm saying that wholeheartedly, not joking. Of all this pay per view, there was a lot of good stuff. But every time I see Owen Hart wrestle. I don't make fun of what he does. Like I, I watch him, and that's no joke. And I'm not trying to like you know make the make people like oh my god Todd's you know actually watching wrestling. He is he was legitimately amazing in some of the stuff that he did. Like I, just everything that I saw, I was like Owen jumping, flipping, rolling up into this, kicking, drop kicks. I'm like just the pace that he did and the things that he did and the order he did them in it. However, like whatever you want to talk about it, the all jokes aside, the wrestling psychology of things, uh, when he left, I was like, oh man, that's, that's, that's bad. I, I want to see more of him. And he came back out and I do like the shot of him running down the ramp. You can actually see it and he slides in, and blah, blah, blah. It does stuff to, cause Steve is back and then they end up, the, the, the hearts and the Canadians end up winning. And now I'm going to say something and I totally mean it. I got a little choked up seeing all the hearts get in the ring. Right. Like, 
Like literally there, there's something for me about showing respect for whatever's come before. And I mean that in like, like, you know, I'm going to bring it right back around to Dr. Who, like when the 50th anniversary was, and they had the four, like everybody who was alive and everybody got their time and cheered and, 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 and thing with this, it was like, I, I don't understand everything about Stu Hart and the dungeon. And I don't know his, 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 like his whole thing, but I know his legacy at least a little bit as a, as a, as a slight wrestling fan and to see them bring him into the ring and him stumbling. And I mean that, you know, I'm not insulting him. He's an old getting, man. Like he's an old man trying to get up there and guys just giving it their all so they could separate the ropes as far as they could. So he can get in. And if he even remotely wobbled, there were 10 hands on him. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like, that he was the safest he was ever going to be and they brought him in and man like the crowd going crazy i was like i was i got goosebumps watching it and then the brothers and the sisters and the nephews or whatever like whoever they were and then they bring Stu's wife and i don't remember her name ellen. i didn't write it ellen she comes in and it's another like we're going to get her in the ring and she's having trouble, but they all make sure they get her in the ring and they go. And then it's more and more. And they're just piling in. And then I'm like, this is cool. And then Steve Austin comes tearing in, tearing ass in. <laughs> and I'm like, this is fantastic in that we get, we get, uh, you know, respect for the, 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 the hearts. And I might be misremembering how some, how many people went in the ring. The, 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 the wife might have went afterwards, but it, you get what I'm trying to say. And Vin, and Steve is in there. And I like the fact that Steve goes in against, you know, 90 people and gets his, gets his ass handed to him, but he still fights. And I'm like, Oh my God, if he wasn't over at this point, this is fantastic. And they, they take him out. And they handcuff him. And one of my, not my second favorite Vince line of the show. The first one was a super corner person. The second one is Vince. He's being cuffed like an animal. I'm like, I've never seen a handcuffed animal. <laughs> Just for the record. I've seen chained animals. I've seen leashed animals. But I've never seen an animal with handcuffs. Wouldn't they be like paw or hoof cuffs? But either way. So he does it and then he gets taken out. He gets his, he gets his ass beat. And then bat, the, the heart party begins again in the ring and it ends and Calgary goes crazy. I have to admit for an ending of a pay per view, this was pretty goddamn solid. Mm -hmm. So I don't have the only sad thing was Triple H and Mankind didn't come back out to fight. I would have loved that. That would be awesome if, like, they do the long shot of all the hearts in the ring, and then you just see off in the distance, brawling <laughs> through the crowd with those two again. Right. So now things that I want to touch on all right. is... Oh, um, real quick before you do. Right. You mentioned about Owen, right? Right. And I, I, I'm in agreement with you on Owen. Um, Owen was probably, like, the most underrated wrestler, probably in the history of wrestling. Mm -hmm. And it's sad that it took him dying for everyone to realize just how unbelievably good he was. Right. Like, there were people who knew he was good, like, back in, like, the 80s and the early 90s and everything else. And then it was, you know, the last years that he had in the WWE. But to go back and see, you know, like you did, this is an event from 20 years ago. 
to mm-hmm. see what he did and how good he did it and just the little things that he did that made a match. But as good as he was as an athletic performer, I am a much bigger fan of the goofy stuff that he did. Okay. Now, do you mind if I chime in here? Go ahead. Because I got, I, got like I got two good stories about Owen goofiness. Maybe I've told them before. Maybe I didn't. But I like telling them again. Don't tell them if you've told them on the show. Already. Right. But uh, now you got to remember when I came into wrestling again, like again in that, my heyday, I know Owen, and that's why I say I make fun of Owen is because I knew Owen as his gimmick was is he or isn't he the Blue Blazer? Right. And that's where I know Owen from. And when Owen, one of my favorite bits was when. They would send people down in the blue blazer costume. Yes. That obviously weren't Owen Hart. Just, and the, I'm going to say the most obvious one I ever saw was I'm pretty sure at one point I saw Mark Henry come out in the blue blazer costume. Now it was not Mark Henry. It was okay, Owen's I, former partner, Coco Beware. Okay, I'm misremembering because right. that's a long time ago. But, but Coco was about as big as Mark Henry was at the time. Mm-hmm. And there was something about him that made me realize he wasn't Owen. I think it was the gait of his walk was okay. a little different to make me realize it wasn't Owen under that mask. Right. But that's my remembrance of the goofy Owen. Like, that was a lot of what was the shtick that was the Blue Blazer at the time. Did he die... As the Blue Blazer, was he Owen Hart? Like, not... As the Blue Blazer. Oh, okay. That was what he was actually... He he didn't give that up and be Owen when that happened? No, it was... So, it was... You know, they do the thing where he would repel from the ceiling. Right. Did they do that all the time, or was that just for pay-per-views? They would do it a bunch of times. Like, he would come down, like, on a raw and get, like, stuck. Or he couldn't do the thing, or whatever it was. So, here it is, his pay-per-view... He's taking on the Godfather for the Intercontinental title. And while they're cutting away to the video package to recap everything that Owen's been doing as the Blue Blazer, it that's happens. when the harness failed and he fell. Because I was watching that pay-per-view. I was watching that pay-per-view as well, Todd. Right. I know you I know you probably were. I'm just say, stating, you know what I mean? Because I, you know, people not might not think. But yes, I was watching that. So, but... My brain is fuzzy on whether or not he was the blue blazer at the top. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, right. But anyway, you're too so my zany, two, right. zany Owen stories. I'll tell them as quick as I can. One is kind of one is personal. Uh, CYC, they were doing uh, signing. Owen and the Bulldog were doing a signing at the Steamtown Mall before the CYC show, right? Mm-hmm. And they're heels. And, you know, but they're still being personal, they're signing autographs, and if anyone gave them any any guff, they'd kind of give it back to them, right? Mm -hmm. So at the time, Owen on TV was working an angle where he had a broken arm, right? Mm -hmm. A la Cowboy Bob Orton. Right. So he's at the autograph signing, and he's got the cast on his arm. And he's signing, he's signing, he's signing, and like every like fourth or fifth or sixth person would be like, your arm's not really broken. You're just faking that so you can cheat, or something of those effects, right? <laughs> right. And Owen's like, oh, you know, uh, it's taking a long time to heal, or whatever it is, whatever <laughs> it is, right? Mm-hmm. So, later that day, I'm sure a lot of the people that have the autograph signing were probably at the CYC for the show. I was. And maybe a lot of people noticed, maybe they didn't. It was on the other arm. But when Owen came out for his match, the cast was on the other arm. That's fantastic. And it's not like he made a big deal of it. 
It was just like, that was just a funny little thing for him to do. Mm -hmm. Now, after this, uh, we would go to the next pay-per-view. He's programmed with Austin. uh, Famous thing where he gives Austin a pile driver and legitimately breaks Austin's neck. Is Um, that where the end of Steve taking pile drivers or tombstones or anything? Right. Okay. So the house show match gets changed from Owen versus Stone Cold to Owen versus uh, Mick Foley, who was Dude Love at the time. Right. It was the summer of love. He's Dude Love. <laughs> so they're and and Austin's in Dude Love's corner, right? Because they're partners, they're friends, they're whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So they're at a show, and it could be it's somewhere in California, not L.A., but it was like a Sacramento, a San Jose, or something like that. And they knew that Brad's brother Dave Meltzer was going to be in the crowd. Right. So Owen and Mick decide with our match, we're going to do two things. We're going to have a match that Dave Meltzer is going to rate the worst he's ever rated any match in the history of wrestling. Mm-hmm. and we're going to get Steve to break character at ringside. Okay. So, they have a hardcore match. Mm-hmm. And they use, in this match, Todd, implements such as cotton candy. Oh, my God. Bags of soda lids. Oh, my God. Bags of straws. And they're hitting each other with these things and selling them like they're being shot with machine guns, right? <laughs> right. So... The the big thing at the end of the match is Mick gets a big giant bag of popcorn, right? Mm-hmm. Like the industrial, like when you, you know what I mean, like at a stadium, right? No, I know what you're talking about. And he hits Owen with the big giant bag of popcorn. And not only does the popcorn go flying everywhere and covers the entire ring. Right. Owen takes this huge comical bump into right. the popcorn. Uh-huh. And then while on the ground selling it, starts making a popcorn angel. Oh my god, that's fantastic. So, and th- and that's the point when Austin loses it. They they both kind of peek over and Austin just <laughs> has his head down and you can right. and they're like you can see his body shaking that he just couldn't hold the laughter anymore. But here he is, he's stone cold Steve Austin. He's not supposed to be laughing or having fun or whatever it is with his TV persona, but it's a house show. They're like we're going to we're going to get one over on old Stone Cold and that's how they did it. That's fantastic. Right. And those are the stories that I love hearing about uh, Owen. You know, good matches notwithstanding, but it's the it's the fun shit that I like. So you had other but, questions. Right. Spe- speaking of Steve Austin right. during this during this pay-per-view, um, it just seems like Steve was right on the cusp at this time. Right. And, and the only roadblock seems to be, because Brett was so big, was Bret Hart. Well, like, okay. So he, the, the plan was... Before Steve gets hurt at SummerSlam, which is the next pay-per-view, mm-hmm. and before Brett uh, gets screwed out of the title of Survivor Series. Right. The plan was to build up to that next year's WrestleMania that it's Brett versus Stone Cold, Brett as the champion, and Austin beats Brett for the title. That was mm. the plan. That was back when they used to book long-term. Like... Uh, this this pay-per-view happened in July. The WrestleMania prior, which was that March, was when they did the official double turn from Stone Cold as a bad guy to a good guy and Brett vice versa. Uh, you may have seen it, like the famous thing where Austin's like in the sharpshooter and the blood is just pouring out of his face and right. everything else like that. And he won't give up and he won't give up and he won't give up. 
So that WrestleMania was the beginning of the plan to get us to the next WrestleMania to do the rematch between those two with Brett as champion and Austin winning. And some, for some reason, Brett wasn't still champ when we got to next WrestleMania, right? Correct. Okay. All right, so basically... Brett got screwed and he left and went to WCW. No, 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 no. That No. Don't you know from the earlier said documentary that right. this was all to bring down the WCW from the inside? Oh, right. Yeah. This is what I've heard. I've heard on many a wrestling forum that that's what's happened. Oh, and you know all the wrestling forums I go to. I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but, yeah. So I found it amusing that they were doing the, the, the documentary, which I've seen. Isn't that because of the documentary? We have the footage of Brett and Vince going at it at some thing or something. Did he get punched on camera or off camera or uh, something? Off camera, yes. See, all part of the conspiracy. All right. I'll bring it completely around. The only bigger conspiracy is who is words. Uh, could be anyone or it could be me. Either way. Could Tyler Wordsden. But anyway. So, interesting pay-per-view, Joe. Now, that's it on the questions? I think so. I'm out of notes as we speak. Okay. Now, did you really know or not know who Doc Hendricks is? He may or may not be Michael PSA. <laughs> All right. I wasn't sure if you were able to put that riddle together. <laughs> Isn't he one of the Gallifrey birds? He is the Gallifrey bird, yes. See, how would I not know who the Gallifrey bird is? But I like the fact that it was... Because I was like, oh, they didn't mention... They didn't mention... Michael's name, you know, like when they cut to him, which I, which is weird, you know, or, or whatever. And then when they were like Doc Hendrickson, I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is, who's Doc Hendrickson? I'm like, that's Michael PSA. And I was like, so I, w I literally Googled it afterwards because I will net, when I'm looking at stuff, that's why I take copious amounts of notes. And if you ever wonder why I say, uh, hey, everybody, in your house, 16, Canadian Stampede is on. Right. And I'm still tweeting three and a half hours later. <laughs> it's because I stop what I'm doing and write down in my notebook. So I don't miss anything. And then I leave myself little notes. So when it's over, I can go Google shit because I don't want to know who won the matches. Like, I would, if I Googled in your house 16, it'd be like, oh, well, may, to maybe to find out who the announcer is or the, the interviewer is. But then they might have the card and be like, oh, uh, you know, so-and-so beat so-and-so. And I'm like, I don't want to know because I don't want it spoiled on me. Uh, you know what I mean? I want to watch this clean unless it's a pay-per-view. You give me a pay-per-view that I may know. Like, there's only a few that I would know, like, uh, who won what match. Sure. But... I, I don't do it. So at the end, I went and I looked, and they were like, you know, people who you didn't know who were at In Your House 16, and it was like Michael PSA. And I was like, oh, he was Doc Hendrickson. I, w I wasn't 100% sure, but I was like 95% sure. But I had to check it just to just to just for my own peace of mind. All right, fair enough. I just want you to. I did not want you living your life not knowing who that really was. Oh, I, do you know how much booze I would have drank if I if I didn't know? Exactly. All right. So, interesting show, I think, Joe. All right. I'm glad you seem to enjoyed it. 
I did, and I'm glad. I'm glad to see you hated the Six Doctors episode. Right. So uh, both of us were on. Uh, both of us were on brand with our feelings on this. Right. Apparently, I guess. Right. So. All right. So thank you everyone for listening to uh, Gallifrey Birds Roman Numeral Six. Uh, you won't get to hear about Canadian Stampede on next week's Something to Wrestle With, but you'll get to hear it on. Th- you just heard it on this week's. Uh, Gallifrey Birds with Todd Roker. Do you think they're going to do it any better? Really? Come on. Um, well, again, they're not going to do it, unfortunately, because I think some. I think uh, I know CM Punk won this week's poll, and then next week, uh, let me see, is the poll done with? Some? But what I'm saying is, is if even if everybody managed to vote for it, are they really going to cover it any better than I did? Honestly, uh, it's going to be. It would be close. Stop it. Stop. Push this show, Joe. Let me see. No, it looks like Canadian Stampede uh, might win. <gasps> I'm going to have to use all my Socko accounts to start voting for Yes, CM as Punk. of the recording of this, there's 11 hours left to go uh, in that voting. That's not the poll I'm worried about. You put up a poll earlier today. Well, or this I week. timed it so that it would hopefully be done by the time that we were recording this. Right. Is it done? Let me look. Uh, yes, with 38 votes, Todd, soft serve wins by 89%, with 89% of that vote. Soft serve wins going away. <laughs> All right. All right. Poor, poor Adam. Can't take mm-hmm. a little ribbon. Oh, I know guys like that. Oh, listen, I surround myself with them. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to Gallifrey Birds, Longbox Heroes, After Dark, Episode 136. And uh, we'll be back on schedule with a regular show uh, next week. Thanks for listening yet again.